Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. One of the most incredible things is God's strategy to share the good news. Like, the story of Jesus is incredible, that God himself clothed himself in humanity and stepped out of heaven and walked into our mess so that he could tell us about the love of God and then display it and do all that was necessary so that we could be redeemed and renewed and restored and saved. And Jesus came and he gave his life on the cross and then on the third day he was raised back from the dead and, and just a little while after that he gathered his group of what we call the disciples, those that Jesus had invited these bunch of different people that Jesus had invited to do the journey with him, to learn from him, to walk with him, to observe with him, to minister with him. Jesus gathered them all together and said, okay, my work here is done for now. I'm going to go back to be with my father. I'm going to equip you with my Holy Spirit, but I want you to take the message to all the world and baptize people and share of the good news of Jesus. It's, it's in Matthew 28. We call it the Great Commission. But I don't want to focus on that as much as the people that Jesus gathered around him. Like they were an incredibly diverse group of individuals. And it was a very patriarchal culture, so they're all blokes. And they came and some were tradesmen and some were business people and some had very, very strong and very um, loud political bents. If you go and read about the Zealots, there was a guy by the name of Simon the Zealot. The Zealots were passionate about overthrowing those that infiltrated uh, the community and politically were very motivated. They could often be quite violent. You had people in there that were tax collectors that zealots hated because the tax collectors were in cohorts with the Romans. And so within this one little dinner party, Jesus had people that didn't see eye to eye. Those that uh, lived, you know, the business world, the trade world, the political world, they all would have been different socially. They would have had different backgrounds. They would have had different family stories. They would have had different personalities. They would have had different things that set them off. But Jesus gathered them all around and took them on a journey with him and then at the end said to them, okay, I'm going to hand it over to you now. Go and tell the world the good news about me and bring people to faith in me and baptise them and go. When you think about it, it's a crazy strategy that Jesus puts in the hands of a diverse group of people, the message of eternity. But he did. And he's been doing it ever since. He's actually been gathering in pockets right across the world because guess what? It happened. They did it. The group started and the church just started to grow and God by his spirit just started to bring more people into their gatherings and they kept gathering in more places in more ways and then it spread beyond the boundaries of where they were in Judea and it went to all of the world and here we are now in one of those corners of the world where the good news of Jesus found it and found you but Jesus is still doing the same thing he's bringing diverse groups of people together and he's charging them with a mission of sharing his good news in all the world and there's something incredible about that because we've got a common goal but we're a diverse group of individuals. If you were here last Sunday, I shared that before we jumped into vision, God had just put something really simple on my heart, and and it was actually a call back to simplicity. That I'd found myself in this season spending most conversations talking about a pandemic and spending a lot of time worrying about the implications that had for me. 
And while I was in a, uh, as many of you have been, in a home quarantine season in January, and I was doing some work in my yard, I felt God just say to me, it's just time to get back to the simplicity of loving God and loving others. The words that just resonated in my spirit were, his name should be the first ones from our lips and others should be the first thing on our minds. It's just a really simple reminder that at the core of our faith, Jesus himself said, bring all of the law together and it's two simple commands, love God and love others. And last week I talked a little bit about what it meant to love God. This week I want to talk about what it means to love others. And I just want to just jump in deep to something that I know all of us are experiencing at the moment. Because if I'm really honest, I don't know if I could remember a, a trickier time to navigate pastoral ministry than the last couple of months. Well, the first couple of years of the pandemic were tiring, but the last couple of months, some things have happened that have made us together more aware of the things that we differ on. Uh, the church has existed for millennia with people who see the world differently, but have decided to stay united around something bigger than their difference. And that is the good news of Jesus. His death, his resurrection, and his offer of life, and his call to follow and serve him. The church has existed for millennia doing that, but obviously because of the world we live in right now, some things have been forced to the surface. And so for many of us, we're more aware of some of the things that we differ on than we ever have been before. I don't want to tell you anything new, but let me just put you in a bit of a picture here this morning. Right now today, you are worshipping with some people here that voted differently in the last federal election or state election than you did. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to show your hands, but we've got some liberal voters here. I know because they tell me. We've got some Labor voters here. I know because they tell me. We've got some people in this room that voted for the Greens. I know because they posted it on Facebook. <laughs> We've got some people that voted for all manner of minor parties. We've got even some people that probably didn't take the election very seriously and just numbered one to seven down the page. Like, I'm not telling you anything new, but I just want you to grasp for a minute that politically we're a diverse group of people. Right here in this church today, you're worshipping with some people that see some key theological texts differently than you do. I would say some texts that aren't like make or break 101 things, but some things that people in this room that love Jesus and love his word and are faithful to studying it have chosen to interpret differently than you do. If you want to see what this looks like, do a six-week study in your life group. Term one this year on the book of Revelation and then come back and report to me how it's going. Because what you will find is that people that are faithful to Jesus and love his word sometimes see it a little bit differently because of the filter or the interpretation or their understanding of how the word fits together. And today you're worshipping with some of those people. Today you're worshipping with some people who love modern worship music. And the first 20 minutes of the service are their favourite times and then I know because they fall asleep the minute I get up here to start talking. But when worship's on, they're just hands in the air. I went to a church a few years ago in Melbourne just to visit. And it was uh, way more out there than we are in terms of effusive in their praise and the way they engage the whole body in it. And I was about halfway down standing. I think I was with Jason Ellsmore at the time. And we had a guy that got out in the aisle next to us. Must have been 50 and for 45 minutes while the music was on, he just did these ones. 
And at one point, he did a spin and clocked the old lady in the aisle, but didn't miss a beat. He just went over and gave her a hug, and then back he went. As soon as the worship finished, he walked outside and had a smoke. Didn't sit through one bit of the message, but as soon as the music was on, he was back in. You know, you've got some people in your church today that love modern worship music, and there's some others here today that think the songs that we sing today are an assault on the senses of God himself. That really... The only right music we should sing are the hymns, which of course were the songs that Jesus himself sung, weren't they? My point is, people see things differently to you do. And God's put you in a church with those people. Some of you are going to worship like this now. Like, who are those ones? Today, look, I think you get my point. I, I could go on all day and talk about the things that we differ in, the way we see the world, the way we parent, the way we understand how the best way to do kind of married life, our attitudes on kids' ministry and forms of worship and liturgy in church, our understanding on a thousand different things. The reality is the church and our church has existed like that for a really long time. But yet right now it feels like we're more aware of some of the things that differ amongst us whether it be mandates or vaccines or border closures or quarantine rules or masks or QR codes or appropriate hand hygiene. You'd have to be really blessed to live on a cattle station 2,000 k's west of Longreach right now to know that they're not real issues that are occupying people's thoughts, hearts and minds. Some of you this morning are just filled with anxiety at the mention of these things, while others are just thinking that it's finally time their pastor's going to nail his colours to the mast and tell us what he really thinks, because he's done a really good job of not really going there for two years. Well, if that's the case, I am going to nail my colours to the mast this morning, but I'm going to disappoint a whole lot of you. Because if I'm going to tell you the thing that I think God's called us to together, is that those things are not the things that should define who we are together. Even though they're very real for all of us in our own ways right now. And I'm not saying they're not important and I'm not saying they're not good things to challenge each other on and to talk about and to wrestle with, but we're not going to let that be the thing that defines the body of Christ here at Gateway Orno. Because the thing that defines his church has never been what we differ on, it's always been the thing that we're unified around. And today's the last of our summer psalms. We extended it a few weeks, and I want to take you to a really simple psalm, Psalm 133. It starts off really simple and then goes a little bit crazy in the middle, but listen to Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Just let those words just wash over you again for a minute. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard. Any Aaron's here today? No. But running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe, it is as if the Jew of Mount Hermon, uh, is the Jew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. You know, in the ancient world, oil was something that people would anoint guests with when they came to their house. We don't have that in the same hygiene practices or washing facilities that we do today. And so after a long, hot, sweaty day in the Middle East where 
You know, you probably had dust caked on with sweat when a visitor came to your house. Often what you would use is oil to anoint them. And oil was something that refreshed your visitor. But more than that, it was something that added fragrance to them. So so what the psalmist wants to say is unity is such a beautiful picture in the eyes of the Lord. And and he says it's like oil that just doesn't just kind of remain on the forehead. It runs down through the beard and onto the collar like Andrew Mayne on a sweaty summer's day. But it just runs down. It's, it's, it's a picture of the psalmist is saying, unity is so beautiful, so refreshing, so fragrant, and so abundant. That, that's what it lo- is like when God's people live together in unity. But then he goes into this funny thing where he says, it's like it's flowed down through Aaron's beard. Now, in the Bible, Aaron was the high priest, the brother of Moses. And, and oil was used not just to refresh and fragrant and add fragrance to your guests. It was actually something that was used to anoint, to set apart. It was used for a holy purpose to set apart the priests. And so I think the psalmist wants to say to us is, is unity. It's refreshing. It's, it's a beautiful fragrance. It's an abundant fragrance. But it's a holy venture. And when unity exists, that's where God wants to command his blessing. How beautiful, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. But let's be honest, it's not easy, is it? And so I just want to give us a couple of thoughts this morning that I really want to encourage us with but challenge us with, especially in the season in which we find ourselves. Because as we move into I feel there's a really important message as we move into Vision Sunday next week. I'm saying, church, let's, let, let's choose to be these people together. Because God wants to do what he's done for generations to come, as he's done in generations past, which is bring a diverse group of people together in unity. With single mind, single voice, single focus, single vision. And that is to tell a broken, hurting, messed up world that Jesus is Lord, that he loves them, he wants to heal them, restore them, give him life forevermore. So if we're going to be those people, here's a couple of really challenging things that we're going to have to think about applying. Firstly, we're going to have to choose to take the road of empathy. The writer of Romans, in Romans 14, says this, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak only eats vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. A couple of vegetarians down the front that are getting nervous about where this is going. But the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Let me just give you some context here. Paul is now talking to a newly formed Christian community that now involves people of different cultural and historical backgrounds coming together in one church body charged with the mission of sharing the good news of Jesus. You have people from a Jewish background that have grown up their whole life being told that there were certain foods that were unclean and that they should never touch. And even though Jesus changed the narrative, when something is inbuilt in you culturally and inbuilt in you because of your family and your experience, it's not easy just to go, oh, flick the switch, I should start eating pork and shellfish. More than that, they've grown to know that meat should be actually sacrosanct. In other words, if if anyone's taken an animal to a place of pagan worship, 
And that animal was used in some weird and wonderful sacrificial ceremony to a foreign god that that meat was off limits. And so there was a whole group of people, Jews and Gentiles, that were in this newly formed Christian community that actually thought, we actually don't know where our meat's coming from and unless we can be sure, we think it's safer not to eat it. And so they chose the world of vegetarianism, which in that day I don't think was as glorious as it is today. There's some good food around now if you're a vegetarian. But they chose that because their faith conviction told them that to do anything else was actually going against what they knew of the God that they'd grown up to serve. Now, in the same faith community, there were people that just heard the words of Jesus that said, don't call anything unclean that I've called clean, and were just like roast pork, crackling, prawns, lobsters. Oh, they were just into the feast. And these two groups of people come together, and you can imagine what the talking point for them was about. What are we going to serve at the church party at the end of the year? Because we shouldn't just do a barbecue because there's going to be a whole bunch of people of us that can't enjoy that. We need to kind of go vegetarian because we don't want to... And, and so the whole discussion and battle was around what food they ate. And Paul says this, that shouldn't be the thing that defines who you are together. He doesn't dismiss it. He understands that there's history and context and culture that people have to wrestle with. But he wants people to understand that everyone is a recipient of the grace of God and followers of the resurrected Christ. And that's the thing that matters the most. And we have to find our way around the other issues that would rise up and threaten to steal our unity. Paul says simply this, the one who eats everything, here's his command to you. Don't show contempt to those that don't. And, he says, the one who chooses not to eat everything must not judge and treat with contempt the one who does. See, Paul's challenge isn't to one group, it's to both groups. He says you've both got a decision to make here, you've both got to lean into this. He invites everyone into the one story. Eugene Peterson, I love the way he takes this passage and, and uh, paraphrases it in the message. He says this, Welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. Not a big point for this morning? Here it is. Welcome with open arms fellow believers. What's the most important thing? Who we believe in and who we put our faith in. And we should welcome them with open arms, even if they don't see things the way we do. And don't jump over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with, even when it seems they are strong on opinions, but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with, so treat them gently. Here's the rub. Empathy sometimes is about listening and understanding, not about being right. It's about how we treat one another even when we don't agree. I want to give you a challenge. Right now, if some of the issues that are confronting us are really challenging to you, why don't you take that posture of a learner? I've tried to do this in recent weeks, and I've got to say it hasn't always been easy, but I've cho chosen people that I really trust as friends, that know I love them above everything else, and I've asked to try and seek to understand. And it helps to see a different perspective. <clears throat> Even though in the end I may not agree, I can at least acknowledge there are others that see the world through a different lens from the one that I have and believe in it just as strongly as I do. 
But Romans goes on in, in chapter 15 to unpack it a bit further. And just a little snapshot of Romans 15, verse 2. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. And verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. So, and listen to this. With one mind, and say it with me, one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've got to choose the road of empathy. Secondly, we've got to choose the road of humility. I've learned something about myself. I like to win. A little bit of a competitive streak in me, which I now see manifest more through my children. But it's there in me. I like to win. I'm a park runner. <coughs> a seasoned park runner. Three events over three years. Or two years, sorry. Two this year, though. I was there yesterday. Thank you, Anthony. Chrissy and I decided, like, to put you in context, at the end of last year, a young lady in our church, Kayla, um, challenged me to a race. She challenged me in February to come to Parkrun and race her, and I told her that I'd be there on the 27th, knowing that the first 27th that was a Saturday was November. So she pestered me about it all year, right? And I told her that whoever won the race would get a donut, knowing full well that I had no chance. Anyway, so I went and pre-bought the donut and thought I'd better just turn up to this thing to appease this young lady that's been at me all year. And I turned up and actually enjoyed it a little bit more than I thought I was going to. So New Year's Day came and Chrissy and I got out of bed you know, we were tired after a late night and went to park run. And for the first time in as long as I can remember, I ran 5Ks without stopping. <clears throat> I don't feel like that was raucous enough for what I just shared with you. <laughs> anyway, there was a lady and I... It's the worst thing you can do is try and guess someone's age, but she's not here and she won't be listening to my podcast. So I'm going to guess she was about 55 or 56. Anyway, she was quite a bit older than me. And the whole way, right, I'm, I'm just trying to not stop. I'm focused on not stopping. But she was walking and running. She was doing this intermittent, I can't even say that word, that, this walk a bit, run a bit, walk a bit, run a bit. Anyway, I'm just trying to keep pace. And my run, when I'm trying to run the whole way, looks like a, just a, an ambling walk. Anyway, every time I got to her when she was walking and overtook her, Ten seconds later, she'd come past. Anyway, this went on the whole five Ks until about 200 metres from the end. She went jogging past me and beat me over the finish line. And I didn't think anything of it because parkrun's not a race, right? Yeah, right. <clears throat> anyway, I, I'm trying to get my breath. I'm sitting down on the logs and uh, she wanders over five minutes later and says to me, oh, that's great. Good on you for coming out New Year's Day. Um, you come often, I'm like, oh, it's only my second time, but I'm, I'm planning on making it a more regular occurrence this year. She goes, yeah, it's always good to have someone to pace with, isn't it? I'm like, yeah. And she goes, I really just wanted to beat you today, though. <laughs> <clears throat> hmm. <laughs> have a nice day. God bless you. <laughs> Yesterday, I'm running, and I see her. I don't know if she sees me, but I see her. Parkrun's not a race, right? It's just, you're just doing your own thing. Anyway, there's a bit right near the end, and she's in front of me, and she's, like she's 200 metres in front of me the whole time, but I can see her. 
She's walking, she's running, and I just get a little bit closer, and I'm like, oh, I've got no chance today. I'm not feeling awesome. Anyway, there's a bit at the park run I go to up at Logan where you, you do a couple of laps, but the last lap you come to a point where you turn around and run past everyone back like 800 metres to the finish line. And she's probably 100 metres in front of me at this point. She gets to the turnaround, and I'm thinking, I was her pacing buddy on New Year's Day, and I didn't even know it. I wonder if she still recognises me. Now, I've got a fairly distinct running style. <laughs> anyway... So I'm thinking, I can't let her know that I can, I've recognised her, so I just stared at the ground, went past, and as soon as she was past me, the pace picked up. Well, I stalked that lady <laughs> to 100 metres out, and then I put on my afterburners, and there was no way she was catching me. <laughs> and I just sat there and gloated in my victory <laughs> and just waited for her to come and say good day to me again, which she didn't. But I won. <laughs> Church, I beat a 55-year-old lady in a running race. I really like to win. But I also like to be right. And I actually think I'm right most of the time. But so do you. Randy Harris, a pastor and writer from the States, says this in a book that he wrote. He said, everyone always thinks they are right about everything. If you think about it, you'll see that it's true. You think you are right about everything. I think I'm right about everything. If you ask me, why do you hold this view? And I said, I hold this view because I think it's wrong. You're going to say, what an idiot. No, I hold all the views I hold because I think they're right. I found out sometimes in the past, that I've been wrong about something, but now I've changed my mind about it and I'm right on everything again. I also realise that I may find out someplace down the road that one of the views I hold is wrong, but I don't know what that is because if I did, I would have changed already and again, I'd be completely right. Everybody thinks they are right about everything. The question is whether we are open and humble enough to say, it's possible I might have it wrong because humility is a trait very close to the core of the gospel. If what, what's, what's it look like right now for us as God's people in this season to be unified? You know, that place where God just commands his blessing is going to require all of us to take a stance of humility. The scripture gives a really simple command in this area. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he says this, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. I love that verse because we think love should always be easy, right? We think surely God's going to place us in a church down on the northern Gold Coast in Ormo and it's always going to be easy. It's ne there's never going to be a moment that's going to make me uncomfortable or I'm going to have to confront someone that says something I don't like or runs a ministry the way I don't want them to or someone on stage that preaches the message that just rubs me a bit the wrong way. No, Paul doesn't... Paul doesn't paint a picture of unity as always together on everything. He says unity comes through humility and bearing with one another in love. See, sometimes love is hard work. People are going to rub you the wrong way. But the call of the Christian life is towards gentleness and humility to bear with one another in love. So let's take a stance of humility.
And finally, I want to ask us a really confronting question right now. What does it look like in this season to put others first? Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God with everything, to love others as you love yourself. Now, some of us think we don't love ourselves very much, but, but his point is really this. You, you love yourself enough to clothe yourself and shelter yourself and care for yourself. Like the, the love that we should have for others is, should at least match the way that we care and show concern for our own needs. And I reckon, if anything, this season's drawn all of us to be such self-focused, to take a stance of self-preservation, and God's calling us back to a place of other-firstness. So I want to challenge you to ask this question, wherever you stand right now, of what does it look like to put others first? What does it look like to put someone first who doesn't agree with you? You know, this morning, and I just want to honour the guys that come in here every week and set up for us and make sure this is a great environment for worship. Glenn and Huddy and the team walked around and wiped sanitizer on every single chair that you're sitting on this morning. Some of you think that is just crazy use of resources and a waste of time. But guess what? We're doing it right now because that's the thing that allows us to come together in worship. And whether you agree with it or not, it, it, I don't think it matters because I think right now there's some people in our church that are really nervous about being together in large groups. They're feeling vulnerable. They're feeling exposed. They've got medical histories that you don't understand. You've never heard their story. You've never listened to their story. They don't want to share it. They don't want to put it out there. But they come here and it really, really matters to them that we do the simple things to do our best to care for them in their vulnerability in this season. So right now, it doesn't matter what my opinion is on whether we should sanitize the seats before church. We're going to keep doing it because if, even if it's completely pointless, if it helps two people in this room feel more comfortable about gathering in worship and being with their church family, we're going to do it. And there's a whole bunch of little things that we've got opinions on right now. Social distancing, hand sanitation, mask wearing, how we serve hospitality, whether it's all right to shake hands or hug. And I guarantee you there'll be someone else in this room that sees the world differently from you in that. And the question I want to ask is, don't worry about arguing their perspective. How can I love someone else in the midst of this? How do we put others first in this season? And even if it puts you out for a moment, would you do it for them? Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Church, I want to call us to a place of unity. And the only way we come to a place of unity is when we focus on the very thing that brings us together, the one thing that unifies us, the one thing that we can agree on, that is that Jesus is Lord and He is worthy of everything that we have to bring. That He's called us into a life of devotion, following Him, serving Him and not worrying about what's going to happen to me but worrying about how we can tell a broken, hurting world that there is a God in heaven that loves them so much that He pursued them, clothed Himself in humanity and died a death in the death on a cross so that they could know him. The psalmist says this, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live in unity. And then the last verse, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And if I might be so brave and confident and bold as to come to the Lord this morning and 
say, God, we want to move forward together and we want to ask for your blessing on our church. You know the blessings I'm praying for? I'm praying that this year as a church, we see more people walk through the waters of baptism than ever before. My, my prayer this year is that we see more young people that right now are lost and hopeless and have no direction and don't know which way is up and which way is forward. They're going to discover the love and the grace of a God in heaven that has a purpose for them and a future for them. I'm going to ask God to bless us by helping more people find wholeness and healing, find more marriages restored, more families brought back together. When the church comes together in its difference, it chooses to stand in its unity. In that place, God demands His blessing. As you came in this morning, uh, you're given some communion. This is our COVID safe communion. And I, I want to take a moment this morning just to invite us to do the, the very simple thing that the Bible invites us to do as a reminder of the thing that unifies us. Because when we take this simple wafer and we take this bit of juice, it takes us back to the story of Jesus, whose body was broken, his blood was shed so that we could come together, be whole, be healed, be forgiven, be free, and no life everlasting. And church, if there's one thing I want to call us together around, it's to do the other things well. Talk, not behind people's back, but have gracious, honouring conversations with people about the things that are challenging to you right now in your relationships. But never let anything else rise above the story of Jesus in our midst. Because it's the most important thing that brings us together. So I'm going to ask you to take communion this morning with all the Liberal, Labor, Greens and United Australia Party voters, with all the lovers of modern worship music and hymn music and Gregorian chant. For all those that think I preach too short and all those that think I preach too long. For all those that interpret Ezekiel 35, 12 differently to you. I don't even know what that verse is. Please don't look it up. It's probably inappropriate. But... With everything that's different about us, today we're going to choose to celebrate the one thing that's common with us. So can we stand together today, church? We're going to finish our service by sharing in community. I'm going to read that psalm over us. And then we're just going to sing a song that points our eyes to heaven and to Jesus. Father God, we stand here on the cusp of a whole new season of vision for our church. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about who we are, the things that you're calling us to do, the things that you want us to focus on the things that we're going to come together around. But Lord, before we get to any of that, I just believe the thing that matters most here today is for all of us to decide that the ultimate thing when we're together is you. And that we'll navigate all the other challenges around that, but we'll never let anything trump that or overreach that or become greater than that because you stepped out of heaven so that we may know your life and be redeemed and live life with one another in all glory and all eternity forever. So Lord, today we take this wafer, this symbol of your body that was broken on the cross of Calvary. And we eat it in remembrance of you and all that you've done, of your body that was broken for us individually, but for us together corporately. In your time, why don't you eat with the wafer?
Jesus on the cross, his blood was pouring out of his body, looked down and even in that moment where just the, the one who created all things could have just spoken curse over those that have done this to him, just spoke words of hope and forgiveness. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. God, your blood was shed for all of us. No matter our story, our background, our nationality, but no matter where we've come from, no matter the mistakes we've made, no matter the things we believe, no matter where we were yesterday, God, your blood was poured out for us. The blood of the brand new covenant that's found in you. And so today we eat it and we drink it. Lord, this symbol of that moment, in remembrance of all you've done for us. There's a, memory, uh, a reminder of the unity that you call us to in your blood, Jesus. Why you drink? Church, this matters. Because right now, Ormo, Pimpama, Coomera, King's Home, Tanamera, Shaler Park, Nubia, Beanley, wherever you're from, Madrabah, wherever God's brought you from today, this matters because who we are together really matters. Let's not be that church that you know, just pales into nothingness because we got caught up on stuff that didn't really matter. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and walk together in all that He has for us. Let's see. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.